0: So we are in a series where we are studying uh, God's word together. Uh, We're studying the book of 1 John. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 John uh, in the New Testament. Uh, It's towards the latter part uh, of the New Testament. Uh, And you can go ahead and get to 1 John chapter 3. Uh, If you have not been with us or if you've missed the last couple of weeks or one of those last two weeks, I encourage you to go online uh, and listen because we're looking at a different chapter every week. Uh, And so if you missed chapter one, uh, I would encourage you to go online. All of our sermons are are available online, so uh, go and listen so you can kind of get a feel for the whole entire uh, book. Uh, We're also making available to you devotions uh, that you can take with you. Uh, You can pick them up either up here at the altar as you leave. There's some on the table Uh, if you're going. Down for breakfast or to Sunday school, and then there's also some uh, on the glass table in the narthex uh, for you to pick up. It's a way for us to pray together. It's a way for us to kind of reflect on questions together. Uh, and, and so it's a reminder of what we're reading and studying. So I encourage you to take advantage of that resource as we try to, to think about how do, we, how do we continue to grow together. Um, so we're going to look at First John. We're going to read the portion of 1 John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 10, and then we're going to make our way through to verse 24. So would you read this with me? This is how God's children and the devil's children are apparent. Everyone who doesn't practice righteousness is not from God, including the person who doesn't love a brother or sister. This is the message that you heard from the beginning. Love each other. Don't behave like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he kill him? He killed him because his own works were evil, but the works of his brother were righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have transferred from death to life because we love the brothers and sisters. The person who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that murderers don't have eternal life residing in them. This is how we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But if someone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but refuses to help, how can the love of God dwell in a person like that? Little children, let's not love with words or speech, but with action and truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and reassure our hearts in God's presence. Even if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence in relation to God. We receive whatever we ask from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. This is His commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love each other as he commanded us. Those who keep his commandments dwell in God and God dwells in them. This is how we know that he dwells in us because of the spirit he has given us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So John reminds us, if you were with us last week, John reminds us in chapter two, he, he, he delineates, he says, little children. So that's all people who profess Jesus Christ. All of us, we are children of God. And God reminds us that as children of God, our sins have been forgiven. And he also challenges us that says we ought to live as he lived. And so we see this in John chapter 2. But then as you begin to get to John chapter 3, he has a segment where he talks about righteousness just prior to this. And how that can be a, a measure of our assurance. But then he gets a switch. He kind of switches and says, okay, not only righteousness is a measure of assurance, but also love. Listen to what he says in verse 10. This is how God's children and the devil's children are apparent. Everyone who doesn't practice righteousness is not from God, including the person who doesn't love a brother or sister. And then he goes into verse 11. This is the message that you heard from the beginning. Love each other. Scripture is full of passages about love. Old Testament to New Testament. Scripture is full of passages about love and how we as God's people are to to love and how we're to love God and we're to love our neighbor. We are a culture that likes to talk about love in lots of different ways. This past week was the week that we were supposed to express our love as if you're only supposed to express it one week out of the year. That was created by Hallmark and chocolate candy companies, but I'm bitter, but that's okay. Uh, But But what he says to us in this love is he says, okay, I'm going to show you how to love as God's people and I'm going to give you a negative example and a positive example. And the negative example he uses is Cain and the positive example he uses is Jesus. Let's read in verses 12 through 15. He says, don't behave like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he kill him? He killed him because his own works were evil, but the works of his brother were righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have been transferred from death to life because we love the brothers and sisters. The person who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that murderers don't have eternal life residing in them. If we do not love, we're shown to be either the child of the evil one or the child of Of God so what John's saying here for Cain is don't be like Cain because he belonged to the evil one one of the things that we have to recognize and this is so hard for us we're either children of God or we're not there is no middle ground he doesn't say we're almost children of God we're either obedient to God Or we're not. That's that's what the word says. That's not just me saying that. We're either either children of God. Or we're not. And we see this in the story of Cain. I'll remind you if you're not familiar with Cain. In Genesis chapter 4 we read these words in verses 2 through 9. It says she gave birth a second time to Cain's brother Abel. Abel cared for the flocks and Cain farmed the fertile land. Sometime later, Cain presented an offering to the Lord from the land's crops, while Abel presented his flock's oldest offspring with their fat. The Lord looked favorably on Abel and his sacrifice, but didn't look favorably on Cain and his sacrifice. Cain became very angry and looked resentful. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why do you look so resentful? If you do the right thing, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do the right thing... Sin will be waiting at the door, ready to strike. It will entice you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. When they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? Now, what's interesting is we're not told what the guidelines were for the offering to be acceptable, right? It doesn't tell us what made One versus the other. But what we do seem to get from this is that in the conversation between Cain and God, Cain knew what was right. God says, why are you angry? Why why is your head downcast? If you brought what was right, you'd be accepted too, right? And if you don't, sin's just waiting there. So Cain knew what was right, but he chose not to do it. Now we can, we, we can beat Cain up if we want to as far as we can say, okay, or maybe we can dismiss Cain because we stop and go, well, I would never do what Cain did. But, but let me remind you of something about Cain that we often forget. Cain was a worshiper. Read the story. He's bringing an offering to God. He, it's an act of worship for Cain. But his worship wasn't what God required he wasn't doing it for God's praise he was doing it so maybe he felt good and so he moved into becoming a false worshiper he wasn't doing it from his heart what God wanted him to do he was simply doing it as a duty as an obligation you can go read scripture it talk, Isaiah talks about this very thing. Look at what it says in Isaiah when the prophet tells the religious people, the Lord says, since these people turn toward me with their mouths and honor me with lip service while their heart is distant from me and their fear of me is just a human command that has been memorized. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 15. If you want to go read it, he talks to a group of Pharisees and he tells the Pharisees, you're trying to do all these things to simply just... Um, obey but you're not doing it with the right motives and it should challenge every single one of us every time we walk in this door am I doing it out of duty am I just attending church or am I worshiping am I praising God it should be a challenge for us Now, not only was he a false worshiper, but we can also see that his response to conviction of sin as a measure of maybe lack of faith, because he is is prompted by God, and the proper response would have been to humble himself, to confess his sin, to... uh, turn and go the other way what we would think of as repentance begin to do something different but instead what we see Cain do is being prompted by God about something in his life what we see him do is he says hey Abel let's go into the field and then he kills his brother rather than responding with humility rather than responding with submission what we see Cain do is Cain reacts out of anger And Cain reacts out of violence. And Cain reacts out of, I'm going to get my way no matter what. And it tells us in verse 12 that Abel, because of his own actions, Abel was killed because of Cain's own actions were evil. He felt guilty. He felt mad. And rather than dealing with what that prompts in him internally... He just continued to push forward with the direction he wanted to go. We see the same thing in Jesus' death when he is crucified. Remember Pilate and Pilate uh, examined Jesus, and he, he speaks about the, uh, the motives of those who were calling for Jesus to be killed. Look at what it says in Mark 15. Pilate answered them, "Do you want me to release to you, the king of the Jews?" He knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of jealousy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas to them instead. Pilate replied, then what do you want me to do with the one you call king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Just as John talks about in verse 15 in this passage, those people standing around Jesus had murder in their hearts. Their motives were self-motivating. And then contrary to, to Cain, John in 14, verse 14, he tells us that, that we can have an assurance of our faith by how we love our brothers. And he uses Jesus as his example. Look at what it says in verses 16 and 17. This is how we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But if someone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but refuses to help, how can the love of God dwell in a person like that? So verse 12 tells us how we should not love like Cain, but then we get to how we should love, which is like Jesus. And Jesus' example is one who lays down his life for other people. So what we see is the biblical concept of love. The major part of the definition is that we're supposed to put love of others before ourselves. We're supposed to make love sacrificial. It's what what makes it special is when we focus on other people rather than ourselves. When we give to other people rather than ourselves. If we're children of God, we're we're supposed to act differently than what the world is. And the world tells us, y'all know this, the world tells us that we are supposed to self-preserve. We're supposed to make it about ourselves. We're supposed to be self-reliant. We're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to stand up on our own. And God says, love other people. Make it about other people rather than about yourself. Let me tell you, that's what makes the church so powerful when the world is able to see a group of people who love for no other reason than to just love other people it's what makes it so incredible john as i said earlier when we were discussing john chapter 17 jesus prays and he wants his followers and i would say that is an extension to it, that to them is to us He wants his his followers to love each other the way that he loves his father and that the father loves him. So he prays that we, the church, will be humble, that we, the church, will, will submit ourselves, that we, the church, will be unified in one purpose, and that is to love other people. Because what he knew this was in the process, we would be transformed and we would transform the world around us. Let me tell you something. I'm sorry if... The world will never be transformed if all we do is tell them how bad they are. The world will never be transformed if all we do is beat them over the head. The world is transformed when they see a love that is so rare that they just want to be a part of it. That they want to have that. That's when the church represents God best. And so John tells us That that love must be active. Look at what it says in verse 18. Little children. So that's to everybody. If you are a follower of Jesus, we talked about this. That's children of God. Let's not love with words or speech, but with action and truth. Action and truth. Both components. What this passage is talking about is there's both an internal side to love and an external side to love. Cain represents the internal, the motivation. Look at your heart. Look at at, at what you know to be true. Jesus represents the the external. If all we do is talk about loving our neighbors and we never actually love them, it's just religion. It's just religious talk. God says that as we As the children of God, we have to love in action and truth. And I think that John knew that some of us were going to hear those passages and think, okay, well, am I doing that? And so he gives us some words of assurance in verses 19 through 24. Look at what it says. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and reassure our hearts in God's presence. Even if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence in relationship to God. We receive whatever we ask from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love each other as He commanded us. Those who keep His commandments dwell in God, and God dwells in them. This is how we know that He dwells in us, because of the Spirit He has given us. Twice in this passage, we get this phrase, this is how we know. He's trying to give us some assurance as children of God. And what he says in verse 20 is kind of this moment of self-examination for us as we hear it. He says that if you're seeking to love God and your heart condemns you, you have to remember that God is bigger than your heart. And so it should push us to stop and go, okay, even... Even if my motive is wrong, God knows my real heart. Now, let me tell you something. That's a double-edged sword. Because God knows your real heart, right? So if my motive is wrong, God knows that as well. But if my heart is condemned, I have to remind myself that God is bigger than my heart. John speaks, I think, this as a word of encouragement to us. To be able to really examine ourselves for our motives. Think about the story of, of, of Mary and Martha. Many of you have probably grown up in the church. You've heard this before. But Jesus goes to, to Mary and Martha's house. And Martha is running around and doing all of the work. And Mary, uh, the scripture says, is sitting at, at Jesus' feet. That phrase, sitting at Jesus' feet, is a, is a common phrase for what a disciple would do. And so Mary, I mean, Martha is looking at Mary just sitting over there. She's looking at her being lazy. And she's like to Jesus, hey, can you not tell her to get up and do something? And Jesus defends Mary and says she's chosen what is right because he knows Mary's heart. Think about Peter. Peter denies Christ three different times. And yet Jesus defends Peter And tells Peter that he's gonna be the rock of the church because Jesus knows Peter's heart. Examine yourself. Allow the Holy Spirit to move in us. And then we come to verse 21. And he says that when you love others in action and truth, if your heart doesn't condemn you, then be confident. What I would tell you is, this is that part of, if you're doing what is right in the eyes of God, you're gonna have peace. You're gonna, you're gonna know that you're going in the direction that God wants you to go. It, this, this has the ability to change your world, if you'll let it, that you can have the peace of God if you know that you're doing what God wants you to do. I kind of equate it to... Um, driving and you may relate to this or not but I I drive sometimes and all of a sudden a policeman gets behind me and Lydia or Claire will one say there's a policeman behind you and I'm like I don't care I'm not doing anything wrong I, I have a very good peace because I'm not speeding I'm not doing anything wrong the same is true when we're being obedient to God when we're living in God's will when we're living righteous the way that God desires for us to live it brings you peace All of the guilt, all of the worry, all of the anxiety that we sometimes have can be taken away if we would live and live the way that God tells us to live. In verse 22, the scripture gives us more promises. It says, when you love in action and truth that our prayers are answered that we can ask and says that we will receive anything we ask. How can he make a statement like that? We've talked about this before. If we can live accordance to God's will rather than our own will, says that if we can pray in accordance to God's will, that we can have anything that we want. We can have anything that we ask for because we're praying in God's will, Right? I told you last week when you begin to use the scriptures to be able to pray and you use those as, as your templates for prayer, you can believe that God will answer your prayer because you're praying in accordance to his will. But what will it require you to do? Lay down your will. But that's God's definition of love to lay our lives down. And then finally, in verse 24 he gives us another promise. If we will love in action and truth, he said that we can know that God lives in us by the evidence of the Holy Spirit within us. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you, even if you're struggling, the scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit is a deposit of a guarantee. As I struggle in my faith, as the Holy Spirit moves and works in me, it is a reminder of the assurance that I have through Jesus Christ. As you begin to think about spiritual things, folks, that's not natural. When you begin to think about spiritual things, that's the Holy Spirit moving and prompting you. We need to look for the Holy Spirit to convict us. Let me tell you, if you sit in church, if you sit in church for a whole year, And you're not convicted of anything you do wrong? We need to to go back and review our relationship because the gospel of Jesus Christ is convicting. The gospel of Jesus Christ should convict us as we look and examine it. If you look at your life and you don't see the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it needs to challenge you in your relationship because I should be growing in patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, right? And so should you. But it's a measure. What John says is that this is, if we live and love in action and in truth, then we will see evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that brings me great assurance what you can look at when you're reading 1 John and as you continue to read chapter 3 this week and I would encourage you as you're reading 4 and 5 you're going to see John continue to return to three things love obedience and truth love obedience and truth may those three things be the hallmark of our lives with Jesus Christ Love, obedience, and truth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you for, we thank you for this word that you give us through John. Lord, we thank you that, that you challenge us and that you convict us and that you move in us Because we know you love us. Help us, God, to open ourselves up, to be transformed. Help us to not be people who just simply speak about love or learn about love or talk about love, but help us to be people who live in action and truth. And we love in action and truth. Allow us to allow your Holy Spirit to move us as your people. We give you praise and we give you glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.